From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. People in medicine, especially those from central New York, know the name Dr. Frank Oski. He was a pediatric hematologist who was the chairman of pediatrics at Upstate Medical University until 1985 when he left to lead the pediatrics department at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He died in 1996, and the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital named its pediatric intensive care unit in his memory. His daughter is a pediatrician um, at Tuba City Regional Healthcare in Arizona, and Dr. Jane Oski is visiting Upstate today to give a lecture on the health status of Native American children. She agreed to talk with HealthLink on air as well. Thank you for being here, Dr. Oski. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. Now tell me first, were you um, inspired to choose a career in medicine by your father? So initially, I fought any desire to be in medicine because I didn't want to follow in my father's footsteps. It was a, a, a very deliberate adolescent conflict with parent. And um, I initially uh, was a uh, strict liberal arts major in my undergraduate years and pursued a degree in American studies and left college and went to work as a journalist for about four to five years. And in about my third or fourth year of journalism, while I was being exposed more and more to issues related to public health, I woke up one morning and said, I'm not really advancing the issues that I'm writing about, and I'm really preaching to the choir. So I started investigating careers in public health, getting a master's in public health versus a PhD in public health, and at that time in the mid-80s, I got the correct advice that if I really wanted to do anything in public health, I needed to have a doctoral degree attached to it. So that was when I decided to go into medicine. My father was absolutely thrilled. And it was inevitable that with his mentorship and modeling of not just pediatric care, but fantastic public health advocacy that I would end up as a pediatrician myself. Wow, interesting. And and now you live in Flagstaff, Arizona? Yes. Part I, of the time and also also in Tuba City, which so Tuba City is the westernmost town on the Navajo Nation. The Navajo Nation is approximately the size of West Virginia and uh, encompasses parts of northeastern Arizona, northwestern New Mexico, southeastern Utah and southwestern Colorado, with the largest population density is actually in New Mexico, um, although the largest landmass of the Navajo Nation is in northeastern Arizona. Okay. Well, let's talk about what are the health issues of Native American children. So on almost all different measures, Native American children who live on reservation lands are worse off than the U.S. population as a whole. And in health categories, we have made enormous advances in preventing vaccine-preventable diseases by demonstrating that the vaccines against the pneumococcal bacteria and haemophilus influenza that used to cause seven to ten times the rate of disease in Native American and Alaskan Native children is now, I won't say insignificant, but tremendously reduced. The rates of diseases from both of those bacteria are still elevated in Native American and Alaskan Native children in comparison to the U.S. as a whole, but the number of children who are affected 
has diminished to the point where it's actually manageable. Um, so that's one example of infectious disease and a public health approach. We are tremendously fortunate that families on Navajo area and in many other tribal communities are very, very accepting of vaccines, which is not necessarily the case in all of our communities in America these days. As you probably know, we're seeing a rising incidence of vaccine hesitancy and vaccine refusal. In the communities in which I've worked, families have actually seen the benefit. They may have had a child who was either uh, a fatality from an infection or was permanently neurologically devastated based on an infection, and they've now seen their other children or grandchildren be free of these diseases. So that's a, a very potent message to communities. So our, our families in general are very accepting of vaccines. And Are they able to access vaccination? So through the Indian Health Service, as well as tribal and urban programs, children who are members of tribes are categorically eligible for the uh, federal pro federally funded program that's known as Vaccines for Children. And so if, if a Native American child can access health care at any of those sites, they're automatically eligible for those vaccines. On Navajo area, although it's a very wide geographic area, there is strategic placement of hospitals and health centers so that most of the population doesn't need to travel more than 25 to 50 miles to get access to care. And the majority of the population density is in areas where they have immediate access to medical care. Are the um, health issues in children um, much different for Native American living on reservation lands than other than children who are not? Are we talking about the same kind of health issues? So overall, the same health issues are encountered. Um, one thing that is very, very different and is truly a scourge uh, on the American government's treatment of our Native American people is that in the desert southwest tribal communities and in the um, Alaskan tribal communities, there are still, in 2010, 30% of homes that have neither running water nor electricity. And those risk factors in association with household crowding, and household crowding is defined as more than one person per room in a home. So if you lived in a four-room home, a kitchen, um, an eating area, a bedroom and a living room, if you had more than four people in that small space, regardless of how many square feet, that would qualify as household crowding. Um, the combination of lack of running water, lack of electricity, and a higher rate of household crowding puts children at greater risk of many infectious diseases and especially respiratory diseases. Wow. Wow, that's hard to absorb that that's how life is for people, some people in America today. Yes. Wow. Um, when you go in and you Google the topic um, Native American health issues, there's a bunch of things that come up. Um, diabetes, injuries, tuberculosis, suicide, sexual abuse, um, pneumonia, influenza. And there's a lot there. Um, is that what you're focused on in your research and so work? So all of those categories of illness are 
foci of our public health work. Um, one perhaps unifying cause for all of those conditions is what is known as historical trauma. So historical trauma is the concept of a community or a population having endured something such as genocide or something such as uh, an outside force working hard to diminish the size of a population. Um, it could also be war. It could be poverty that leads to historical trauma in a population. For Native Americans, there's the combination of the American Indian Wars of the 19th century, uh, reduction, starvation, forced migration away from their homes, their cultural locations, as well as what came after that, which was the boarding school phenomenon where very many Native American children, more um, commonly in the Western states and the Northern Plains, were, were taken from their homes, placed into boarding schools because there weren't good public schools available in their more remote settings. And in the boarding schools, children were actually beaten for speaking their native languages. Mm. And also in the boarding schools, there were um, documented high incidents of child abuse and sexual abuse. So if you can imagine all of those various traumas, both physical and emotional, occurring to families, there is intergenerational transmission of those traumas. And historical trauma, like poverty, is now known to be one of the many adverse childhood experiences that a child can be exposed to early in their life. Those adverse childhood experiences, whether it's poverty, physical abuse, physical, physical neglect, parental discord, separation, divorce, being exposed to domestic violence in the home, being exposed to parental substance or alcohol use or abuse, all of these things are considered to be causes of adverse childhood experiences. And we know from the seminal work of Dr. Felitti and Dr. Anda that occurred as part of a Kaiser study in San Diego in the early 1990s. This was done in a predominantly Caucasian population, a predominantly middle-class population. And they found that even in that relatively privileged community, that having three adverse childhood experiences increased the risk dramatically of chronic illnesses of adulthood, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, lung disease, mm -hmm. and also increased the risk of those people turning to alcohol or drugs to numb the pain, becoming suicidal, developing depression. So the whole concept of adverse childhood experiences is actually derived from work in Caucasian communities, but the model is being also applied to Native American communities across the country. So a lasting, lifelong impact Correct. based on, based on that. And we um, now even have some evidence that there can be gene changes, what are known as epigenetic changes, that can be transmitted from one generation to the next. And 
we don't yet know whether some of those epigenetic changes could be responsible for the higher rates of type 2 diabetes that are seen in Native American children and adults. Interesting. We, we have strong suspicion in the beginning of evidence that these epigenetic changes are responsible for an increased risk of certain what are known as autoimmune diseases in Native American peoples, such as um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile arthritis, conditions such as that. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Jane Oski, a pediatrician and visiting lecturer to the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. Um, tell me if there's been progress that's been made in health disparities in, in the health disparities due to use of sound public health principles. Do you have some examples? So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, thank you for that question. Um, one of the most significant interventions that we've been able to provide has been vaccine. vaccine. And the vaccines against the haemophilus influenza, what's also known as H-flu in shorthand, and streptococcal pneumonia have been enormously effective at reducing respiratory diseases and um, otitis media or ear infections in um, children in Native American communities across the country. The other thing that we've done a substantial job at reducing is the incidence of hepatitis A disease, which used to be epidemic in the desert southwest and in the Alaskan tribes. And so the hepatitis A vaccine, beginning in 1996, was given to our communities um, much more aggressively, and we have seen the rates of hepatitis A drop down below the rate that's seen in the U.S. in general. Wow. Um, there are several different promising programs that are not necessarily traditional health-related programs, but um, more like service programs that are offered, one of which is called the Family Spirit Program, which was developed at the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health, which is housed at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. It is a three-year, 33-curriculum educational program that is offered in the homes to families of firstborn, whether or not they're teen parents or young adult parents. And ideally, the families are connected with prior to the birth actually happening. The 33 different curricular elements address positive parenting techniques, uh, childhood injury reduction, car seat safety use, the importance of early childhood um, education, teaching reading to our children as early as at birth, uh, developmental promotion in the homes, positive relationship status, and this program, the Family Spirit Program, is now being used in over a hundred tribal communities nationwide and has actually been adapted for use in urban communities in both St. Louis and Chicago. And it shows the greatest potential for actually preventing the adverse childhood experiences because it's helping parents to learn the best skills for loving their children, raising their children, in enveloping their children 
with love and developmental support. So being very proactive about this. Correct. This has been very interesting. My guest has been pediatrician and visiting lecturer, Dr. Jane Oski. I'm Amber Smith for the podcast and talk show produced by Upstate, HealthLink on Air.